Hello and welcome to the DC Wash Up. It's episode number 46 and it's a very sad day. It's 45. What? It's 45 and I was going to make the point <laughs> that it goes perfectly with the inauguration. We're going to come back with the inauguration of the 45th president. That's Michael Vincent, everybody. And it is his final podcast today. Last time I get to correct <laughs> Yeah, that too. Uh, he's finishing up in the North America Bureau after three and a half years, three yep. years? June, 26th, uh, June 2013. Yep. And it's just he and I, producer Roscoe Whalen today. It is silly season. We're getting close to Christmas. Uh, we've already lost one correspondent, Stephanie March, who's on vacation. Uh, we have Zoe Daniel, bureau chief, who's in Cincinnati, Ohio, where Donald Trump is on his victory tour. Thank you tour, as it's also being described. He's not gloating. He's saying thanks to the voters. So today it's just the boys. And we're going to look at the latest news with Donald Trump's transition, some of his new appointments, that thank you tour that I mentioned before that he's on. And also, I'm going to get Michael to reflect on some of his favourite <laughs> moments of the past couple of years, whether he likes it or not. So... This is my last contractual obligation. <laughs> I've been holding you hostage. We're doing this later than usual today, just mate, basically to spite you. Um, the first... Yes, Michael. <laughs> Can I point out, you used the word vacation. I don't think I'll be doing that when I go back to Australia. I think I'll call them holidays or holes. Oh, yes, that is uh, an Americanism that I have picked up. You're going to have to change a few of those, I think. Yeah, that's the thing. You, uh, over here, once you've been working for a while, you do pick up Americanisms quite easily. And I was talking about this with someone. Um, I was saying good farewell to a former ABC colleague of ours today uh, who works at the Australian Embassy, Dana. And, yeah, look, you know, it's it's some words you come to learn to hate them and other words you come, other words, Americanisms, you come to love. And my favourite... Americanism, for the moment, is granularity. <laughs> I love granularity. I was going to keep it more basic and say something like, you're going to put all your things in the trunk. Oh, no, I had to After tell After walking to... on the sidewalk. Yeah, actually, the other day. This is, this is horrific. It's actually the, the, the story of the, the guy in Ohio, the Ohio State University. Right. And I wrote my script and it was, you know, he met the car mounted the gutter. and I, I, mean, I mean, the car mounted the... The curb. And, and I realised, no, in Australia, we say gutter. And of course, once you've been here for a while, you have to, you have to um, sort of check yourself against those, that sort of the seeping in of the Americanisms. English language aside, Donald Trump continues his transition efforts as he moves to go from president-elect to the 45th president of the United States. And we've seen a steady stream of new appointments coming through over the past week, but there is one particular um, potential appointee that is very high profile, and that is the last Republican nominee for president in 2012, Mitt Romney. Michael, he's got, he... he's got he's got no shred of credibility left. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, as as a you know, anyway, yeah, sorry. You were so saying... yeah, backstory is Mitt Romney, who lost to Barack Obama in 2012 is now in the running for the position, a much-coveted position, of Secretary of State. He is in the final four, according to the Trump camp uh, Trump team. The finalists. The final. It's very much like The Apprentice, isn't it? It's a show. <laughs> I'm the showman. Now, they had dinner on, was it Tuesday night, in a, at a very fancy uh, New York French restaurant. Uh, it was Donald Trump, Mitt Romney, and his chief of, incoming chief of staff, Reince Priebus. Waters all round. <laughs> Well, Donald Trump and Mitt Romney don't drink, so no, this is I, true. I, I'm not sure about Ryan's, but um, 
Um, yeah, it's fascinating. But the fare was uh, quite delicious by the sounds of it. There was uh, frog's legs on the menu. Look, I don't understand how you get to be the sort of the, the, the champion of the working class while being the boss. I just don't get... I, I still don't see how this doesn't... But apparently, you know, it's, he, he's still beloved, and um, we saw that today at Carrier. Uh, we'll come back to that in a minute, um, the, 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 the place where he saved a 1,000 or so jobs by letting the state of Indiana pay for them. Um, but, but Mitt Romney is a politician who came out as part of the Never Trump movement, in fact, the highest profile member of the Never Trump movement, if you don't include George W. Bush, who kept um, his vote um, well, he actually didn't keep his vote silent, um, but he kept his uh, counsel until the actual election day when he said, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. Um, but yeah, Mitt Romney. And now he's, you know, best, best buddies and dining at fresh restaurants in New York City. And it just, it looks surreal, frankly, given that we had Mitt Romney out there as the guy who was railing against the phony and the fraud. And hang on, now you want to serve him? Well, let's, let's take a listen to what Mitt Romney had to say after the dinner with Donald Trump. Like old times. Uh, I've had a, a wonderful evening with uh, President-elect Trump. Uh, we had another discussion about uh, affairs throughout the world, and uh, these discussions I've had with him have been uh, enlightening and interesting and, uh, and engaging. I've enjoyed them very, very much. And now let's compare that to eight months ago, when he came out, as you said, Michael, against Donald Trump. Think of Donald Trump's personal qualities. The bullying, the greed, the showing off, the misogyny, the absurd third grade theatrics. Donald Trump is a phony, a fraud. His promises are as worthless as a degree from Trump University. It's a fairly incredible about turn of the space of about eight months and I think it says a lot about American politics and the power of the presidency and the fact that it's winner take all. So you win. It's just like Paul Ryan, just like Paul Ryan. Um, he came out three times during the campaign, criticised Donald Trump on race and once uh, on the on the Access Hollywood video on, on, on treating how to treat women. Um, and Donald Trump wins the presidency and suddenly it's, you know, Make America great again. Exactly. You know, red hats all round. And, and we'll, I mean, I'm leaving, but you guys, I'm sure, will continue to talk about this um, pretty much every week of the Donald Trump presidency, that there are people who fought him and opposed him on moral grounds, on ethical grounds, on character grounds, on, you know, just just generally not being prepared, being not being fit, intellectual grounds, that, that he's an incredibly successful businessman, he's an incredibly successful TV performer, and yet he wins the presidency, and that, that's just, that doesn't count anymore. That's, that's all gone. I, I wonder how long it is before that starts to come back, and at what point does Donald Trump decide he doesn't like that criticism anymore? Because he's already started attacking journalists on Twitter. This is madness. Well, isn't this the Mitt Romney thing, as you say? Isn't this exactly what Donald Trump railed against during the campaign and fired up his base over? Was Washington establishment, politics, yep. politicians that are willing to do anything to stay yep. in power? Yeah. 
And now he's embracing some of those people. Whether or not Mitt Romney gets this role in the end remains to be seen. But I guess the question is, supporters, we already saw and we talked about on this podcast a few weeks ago, supporters upset at the idea of Reince Priebus, an establishment guy who's only been in the establishment for six years. He's not a lifetime politician as such. They were railing against him being selected. So the thoughts on Mitt Romney must be a lot worse. And that's what gets fascinating because you have people like Kellyanne Conway, the former uh, campaign manager and senior advisor. She was out there criticising Mitt Romney very publicly, repeatedly, and people were saying, "Does that mean you? You know, is is that mean you've split with Donald? Uh, does that mean you've split with Donald Trump? Does that mean you're embarrassing Donald Trump because he's entertaining this possibility?" And because Kellyanne Conway was preaching what Donald Trump had previously preached, which is loyalty. You you just. You basically support those who are loyal to you, who believe in the cause and believe in change. And that is not what people, she says people voted for, for Donald Trump for. What is also fascinating, what, watching his choices for the, uh, the cabinet, three billionaires so far, four if you include him, I don't, see, I don't see anything outside the normal here. The only one, as we've mentioned before, is Steve Bannon. And that, that, that sort of... You know, and that's for different reasons. That's for people being inside the you know political establishment being greatly concerned about his motivations um, in the alt right and the access that he'll have and the power that he'll have. And, and yet, you have a look at some of the other appointments, um, and you wonder really how outside the box this administration is really going to be. And maybe that's the game all along, that, that it wasn't about, you know, bringing in a wrecking ball, that it wasn't about, it was just finding a way to win. And now that he's won, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, perhaps a bit like the change agent that was the man in 2008. It's hard to change, as Barack Obama has said. It's an ocean liner, not a speedboat. And those people that voted for him voted for Trump too. Well, not all of them, clearly, because Hillary Clinton's still winning in the popular vote. But... Um, yeah, it is. I find it fascinating, and and I am going to have to. I'm going to have to find some sort of American politics, um, you know, addicts anonymous. Um. Mm. Well, there's a podcast <laughs> you can listen to. I hear that talks about it every week, and it's quite informative. U.S. Study Centre, I'm going to be giving you a call. <laughs> well, a shout-out to one of the appointments that Donald Trump made this week, was, which was the Deputy um, Secretary for Commerce, Todd Ricketts, who's a Republican mega-donor, but also uh, quite renowned in baseball circles. He's the co-owner of the Chicago Cubs, and he has led two franchises to World Series in the past decade, first the Boston Red Sox, and more famously this year, the Chicago Cubs, who had a century-old curse against them. Mm. He led them to a World Series, so... You know, Donald Trump, true to form, has picked a winner to come on board. Donald Trump, I mean, this is the thing. We were watching him, when was it? Oh, getting sick of winning, winning, winning. You're going to get <laughs> sick of winning, winning, winning. And I just wonder when people are just going to get sick of him saying that. Um, or, <laughs> but maybe they just don't feel that they're going to be winning because um, some of his major decisions could have massive effects on the economy. And that, of course, a downturn in the economy will mean loss of jobs, QED. Um, you know, how much pain are people willing to bear? If he's, he's not even president yet, and he's willing to get the state of Indiana, whose governor just happens to still be his vice president-elect, to give up $7 million of their dollars to keep a 1,000 jobs in Indiana and under the threat, effectively, of, of 30, 30-something 30 percent tariffs or whatever it was, some massive tariffs if they move the... Um, operations to Mexico and bring them um, sort of sell the products back. Um, 
that isn't that just corporate welfare? Isn't that just sort of just going to open the floodgates to all these other companies going, yeah, cool, I'm going to go to Ireland, give me. Well, let's talk about that then, because obviously Trump is a winner. It feels like he's already you know, achieved his first victory, not before he's but even it, president. It does actually feel a bit desperate that he wanted to achieve this before he became president. So, so the backstory on Carrier is basically a company that had decided that in February this year that they were going to move over 2,000 jobs to Mexico. They manufacture air conditioners. Their plants in Indiana manufacture furnaces, I think. And Donald Trump saw it in the mainstream media, as he said today, and there was a video of you know workers there finding out and getting very upset. And Donald Trump, in one of his speeches, said, I'm going to I'm going to bring Carrier back. The American worker has suffered enough. I'm going to bring Carrier back. Interestingly today he said he didn't mean Carrier. He wasn't going to bring Carrier back. He meant more generally for the American worker. And then he heard someone say Donald Trump says he's going to bring my job back. So he did something about it, so to speak. As you say, I mean, the real incentive there is the the tax breaks or the seven million dollars per year from the um, from the state of Indiana. But Donald Trump, you know, says he influences this decision as well, and he's talked about opening up the economy in America, dropping the corporate tax rate from thirty five percent to fifteen percent, which isn't still as low as Ireland, mind you, which is I think twelve point five percent. But he said he's getting there, so. It's interesting because this is the the same. Barack Obama said the same thing. He was going to bring jobs back as well. Mm. Trump is a salesman though, and has been for a long time. And they even spoke to employees today and said, you know, look, not all the jobs are going to stay. By the way, you know, only eleven hundred, I think it is. Mm. So he hasn't. He's fifty percent of the promises there. And they spoke to workers and said, what do you think? What do you think about the way they're doing it? And they said, look, we don't care. He said he's going to keep our jobs, and and he's delivered. Mm. We don't really care how it's happened, whether he's directly involved or not. He's delivered. Yeah. As the White House, White House pointed out, was it how many more times does he have to do it? 850, 840, yeah. 840 150 more times before um, it actually catches up. Um, so the president, the current president has had uninterrupted job growth since 2009. Every month on month, uninterrupted job growth, um, which isn't bad. Um, After a recession. The Great Recession. Um, and that's for the most part, with a, a House and then and the full Congress opposed to his measures. I'll be, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see from afar whether, for example, Trump manages to get the infrastructure stuff through. Uh, the infrastructure, for example, he's going to offer companies tax breaks for building stuff that they might have already been building anyway, um, and whether that leads to sort of the gold plating of things or the um, basically just companies saving money and giving it back to their um, shareholders. Um, rather than re- actual reinvesting in um, further infrastructure and other sort of, you know, nation-building sort of things that this country desperately needs, uh, like you know, like in Australia, we have these arguments about what should be built for first. Like, is it roads? Is it ports? Is it electricity grids? Is it, um, you know, these sort of these sort of things? And, and, and America's really, you know, fallen behind in not just building new things, but also the upkeep of the old things. Um, and, and I'd refer you to a fantastic uh, little series on that done by um, uh, done by John Oliver. Yeah, John Oliver <laughs> did a great little piece on that, and even made an action movie about you know crumbling infrastructure, which That's was right. quite cute with a bunch of Hollywood actors. Um, so just to, to highlight the point, Donald Trump couldn't even get through to appointing all of his cabinet before going on his victory tour, which is now underway. A thank you tour. It's now being revised because victory was gloating. I think someone... I'm sorry, I'm I'm flummoxed here. 
Donald Trump doesn't like Donald Trump no. actually appreciates what gloating is. Look, I think I think uh, to be fair, a Trump advisor said it was a victory tour, but then they said they misspoke and it's actually a thank you tour to the states that he won or flipped that delivered him the White House. Anyway, semantics. Semantics. Yeah, the nine hundred thousand people. Actually, this is what's fascinating about following the vote count. The thirteen, um, the thirteen states, nine hundred thousand votes out of you know sixty odd million. Um, uh, 60 odd million, um, 130 odd million. million, yeah, sorry. Um, and yet Hillary's up 2.6 at the moment, yeah, which is the it's 2.6 million votes she leads in the popular vote, but and it's the equivalent of about two percent, yeah, she's a lead, which is she, I read somewhere that she would have won the presidency but for four other presidents or something like that. Just the most votes ever. Oh, I love the tweets, though, that the Kellyanne, Kellyanne, Conway saying, Kellyanne Conway came out saying the other day, this is Trump's former campaign manager, saying, you know, these tweets about, you know, huge victory, massive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to which someone actually pointed out facts, you know, well, actually, it's the third worst result ever for a winning, you know, team. So not quite, you know, the, the you know... Not quite the 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 uh, you know. I mean, huge electoral college win in some respects, but sure. Yeah. Over, no, no, but that was the point. It was the, it was purely oh, right. Even no, it was actually college. it was purely on electoral college oh, wow. because on the other on the other the flip side, this is historic that someone's won so many and not actually won. Like Hillary's, yeah, that's the. It was the electoral college was like the the third or fourth, um, you know, um, the worst victory in the past thirty years or twenty years um, since Reagan. So. Yeah, that was fascinating. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I wonder where the mandate's coming from and how far the mandate will go. Well, what do you think about a thank you to it then, whatever it's called? The idea of him going to states is it a way of healing a divided nation, or is it rubbing it in, or is it kind of separate to that? Is it just he needs the juice of the crowd to get him going? Interesting. I think he does need the juice of the crowd. I think we've all seen that. Um, I mean, at the end of the campaign, he was doing what seven rallies per day, and he didn't look like he was slowing down. No, I don't think he's missed it. I think, quite honestly, he's missed it in the time that he's been sort of hold up in hold up in Trump Tower, and then over in you know the the, the golf place in in uh, New Jersey, and then back in Trump Tower, and then kind of you know having to meet all these people and talk to them about things that you know um, vet them effectively. And I think he just wanted to reconnect and actually have a win and get a headline that otherwise he's bunkered down doing speculation doing nitty-gritty stuff that Rumors, i think he's yeah. probably um you know probably not finding tedious i think that might be the wrong word but just finding he needed needed that hit again i think it was actually um the former ted cruz communications um guy who told me that he thinks donald trump is addicted to crowd um response and that you're going to see a lot more of this, like that he's going to have to go out of the White House on a regular basis to do these kind of mass rallies, which would be interesting to see if he does. It's not a bad idea in many respects when you talk about him trying to drain the swamp, the Washington establishment. I mean, there is a tendency for those in Washington to get bogged down in Washington. So to go and try to connect with the American people, I mean, credit to him for trying to do that, particularly if he makes this a regular part of the way he... As long as he gets to all 50 states, yeah, I think that's what Obama's trick was to, in, eight, in eight years to try and get to all 50 states. But also, this is the thing, though. Donald Trump's message. Donald Trump, it, it comes back down to words and deeds. Donald Trump says things and then, un, you know, and then, and then unsays them or says them differently and tries to say things for one audience that he'll say differently to another audience and 
doesn't really matter in a way. Um, it only matters whether he does stop the hate crimes that this week came out. Um, we heard were on the increase since the election. It only matters if he does actually bring jobs back. It only does matter if he maintains some sort of decorum and, and level of um, cool-headedness during some sort of crisis as opposed to, you know, saying something um, outlandish and, and, and aggressive um, on the international stage, whether he does actually manage to bring about some sort of end to a conflict that may happen. Um, it, for, all his, for all his words, I don't actually now see any of it making any difference except in in the result in a way. It doesn't matter if he says nice things or if he says bad things. Um, if he says, you know, detailed things, if he says off-the-cuff, you know, remarks, his, his, his manner has been to change his mind on a regular basis and that's fine for America, as I said last time, but it's not great for the world unless... It means when it comes, you know, when a push comes to shove in some sort of conflict, um, be it trade or, or um, some sort of um, military conflict, um, that he does actually come up with a result. All right, Michael, we're coming to the end of your final podcast. I want to do some rapid fire with you. <laughs> it's been a massive. I'm tired, year. mate. I'm, I, I, <laughs> I say, after three and a half years, I'm really tired. All right. Well, look, I've had the pleasure of working with you for the past. Oh, what is it? Thirteen months now, something like it that. It has been a pleasure. Feels Thank like you. three and a half years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this year, we've done a lot of things, and I wanted to get your very quick responses on some of your favourite moments. So, word association time. Favourite primary, Iowa. Most entertaining candidate. Oh, that's hard. I had so much fun in that diner that day with John Kasich. I did, I did, I did. Um, we'll pause the clock just momentarily because the John Kasich anecdote is a great one. and I w <laughs> It's worth reliving. John Kasich. made it into the New York Times. <laughs> exactly, and that's why I want to talk about it. Uh, forever in ink. Michael Vincent goes to Pennsylvania for the uh, Pennsylvania primary on April 26th. And uh, John Kasich, uh, who was running f a long fourth at the time, I think, in the Republican primary, very taken with eating a lot of food on the road. And Michael <laughs> Vincent joined him and a pack of journalists in a diner where... What was he eating, Michael? He'd had... He was having eggs um, sunny side up. And he was having coffee, no milk from memory. And he was having, well, no cream, as they say here. Um, God, I'm not going to miss half and half. And <laughs> the, he was also eating, I think he had some fresh fruit as well on the side. And he's doing this. And you can see the photo. There's going to be a little um, photo come up um, on a piece I've written for the ABC. You can see the photo. There's about oh, 30, maybe 30 journalists and yeah. cameras and he's just sitting there casually, you know, chomp, 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 trying to have a casual conversation with whoever is trying to serve him. He's just like, who are you? Like, really, I don't think they honestly knew who he was. Um, and we just happened to – I got the heads up because I saw his guy sitting at the corner of the diner on the, the, the bar end of the, the diner. And so I literally walked through the back when you're not supposed to, the, the area where the um, – waiters and waitresses serving, you know, food and coffee and stuff. I literally went through there to avoid the press pack and stood right in 
front of where he was going to sit. <laughs> and I sat there and I sat there and I kept looking and, and my, my cameraman at the time, Brad, was wandering around filming and filming and filming. And I was like, oh, God, I hope I've got the right place. I'm not standing in front of where his, his you know... Guest or... Guy yeah. is just going to eat. And in the end, yeah, sure enough, he made his way around and, and you know... I held my ground and the press pack moved around me and then the waiters and waitresses moved around me. And eventually after the, you know, the first couple of questions, um, this is, I mean, this is, this is the day after I think or within 24, 48 hours of him actually cutting a deal with Ted Cruz. That's right. I won't campaign in, I forget which state it was. Uh, was it Arizona or something like that? Yeah. It was some <clears> random <throat> state. I won't campaign there if you don't campaign. In other words, they were trying to split the Trump vote. They were trying to, well, trying to more like split... Consolidate the non-Trump vote. Yeah, 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 between them. And it obviously it didn't work, but... Um, what did you ask him? I asked him, I, I just... Hey, after his first couple of, you know, hoaxy kind of answers, and, oh, it's in this fun and, you know, aren't we doing great? I was like... And I was tired. Came through my questioning. I, but you know, like I think in Australia, we're Australian journalists aren't afraid of asking, you know, straight up questions. Whereas here, they seem to ask very roundabout questions. And you know, you know, what do you think of this, sir? And why do you think that? And we just go, hang on a sec. And I just said to him, doesn't that smack of desperation? Why doesn't that smack of desperation? And he must have been a little bit tired too. <laughs> Because the grouchy John Casey came out and he goes, desperate? I'm not desperate. Are you desperate? And I just stood there and I went. So um, I, don't, I, don't, I think I wanted to come back with those lines of like, sir, I'm not the one running for president of the United States, yeah. which is that classic kind of journalist, you know, it's not about me, it's about you. Which is now immortalised in the last part of the front page story of the New York Times from the following day, which said... A reporter asked Mr. Kasich, are you desperate? To which he replied, <laughs> no, I'm not desperate, are you? Great, great moment there, Michael, one of your best. I'm glad he understood my Australian accent. <laughs> Moving back to the rapid oh, fire. Oh, can I quickly? Can... No, I've got another quick anecdote. This is actually fun. <laughs> not Chris quick. Christie. Chris Christie. <laughs> Chris Christie, Iowa. The trouble, quick, I got like 90 seconds with him at the end of some um, breakfast thing as he's walking out the door. Um... The trouble with Donald is he doesn't have answers. And that's at the start of the campaign. I thought that was telling. Sorry. And then, of course, Christy joined him. Sorry. <laughs> of course. All right. Moving back to the rapid fire. Favourite city? I do have a penchant for Cleveland. I've been there, I think, five, six times, I think, in yep. the last 18 months. 12? No, not even 18 months. God, we're only in December. So it was like... Well, when was the basketball season finished last year? So it was 18 uh, months. June. Yeah, yep. so it is 18 months. Yep. Yeah. Cleveland, home of the convention as well. First, oh my gosh, moment of the campaign. Donald Trump. Walking, going down the escalator? N oh, of the actual <laughs> campaign. Yeah, campaign. yeah, yeah. Well, the wind, the wind can be it. Well, I'll go through then. I'll go... Donald Trump escalator, which has become, if you haven't seen it, go jump on YouTube, look up The Simpsons. They did a great version of that. Donald Trump, first debate. I got him after that for, for like 30 seconds, three questions after that. And the win, the night of the win, just kind of going, uh, uh, w w what? what? What just happened there? Hardest day. Election day. Happiest story you did? Happiest in all my time here? Yeah, sure. Oh, there's been a couple of good ones. 
I enjoyed doing the um, the organic turkey farmer out here in Western Virginia. <laughs> gobble, gobble. Gobble, that was fun. I enjoyed doing um, Aussie basketballers and Aussie pie makers and Aussie tech kids and Aussie um, Jared Hayne. I, I, I really enjoyed the Jared Hayne story. There's a lot of people that don't, don't like him apparently back in Australia, but I enjoyed following his career. It was fun. And I really enjoyed spending a bunch of time with my family doing amazing things like the... 50th anniversary of MLK. I enjoyed doing uh, meeting John Lewis, the final one of the, the remaining speaker of the guys that were with MLK on that day, the I Have a Dream Day uh, speech, and doing that with my daughter. Um, and I've, yeah, I've had some pretty cool experiences. Yeah. Best interview? Well, I mean, you know. You've already mentioned that you spoke to Donald Trump a couple no, of times. No, 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 no. That, that, <clears throat> that, that was just because I. Uh, did screw it up. <laughs> I think that's what I was kind of like. I'm kind of glad I just didn't screw those ones up. No, I think um, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. That was fun. That was just that was just that was just so fun. Like it was just easy, right? Like simpler times. Simpler times. You know, shooting fish in a barrel sort of interviews where you know you just have to maintain their interest in the interview. Um, but also, like I've that's the that's the big names, but it's like the small names as well. The fun I've had. Talking to regular Americans during the campaign, um, be it, you know, farmers in Wisconsin, uh, farmers in Vermont. I had a fun really, you know, I went to a wedding in Vermont for a friend, an Aussie guy, and interviewed the hobby farmer up there about, you know, the business. And he was a former DC guy, I have a patent attorney from down here. He'd just gone, you know, tree, um, did the tree change thing. And he had a pig that was like a real character, like ran around that literally had the ownership of the joint. It was fun. It was a real fun piece. And um, I have really enjoyed meeting um, people in the Choctaw Nation in Oklahoma, got to eat bison out of a bowl there, and, you know, I've had some pretty cool experiences. Story you're most proud of? Oh, jeez. Yeah, maybe that John Lewis one with my daughter. You know, the other one I'll give you a, a a bone here as well. The other one that you did was that follow up you did from the Orlando massacre. Oh, I was going to say about yeah. I actually got an email from Jeff Rodriguez the other day, who was one of the guys that was inside survived. the club that survived. That 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 was more therapy for me than anything else. <laughs> meeting someone who actually survived. Um, no, I I um, yeah, that was that was really that was cool. I got to follow up a story that I didn't. Um, get to do when I was down there the first time, which was meet one of the survivors. At that stage, she was still fighting in the hospital. And uh, I met some of the doctors too that had, had saved him. And that felt that felt like, like the place was healing a bit too. And yeah, Orlando was a tough, tough gig, like all the other, you know, horrible things we've done here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sad and it's sad to say, but I'm also proud of the way we covered, you know, Chris Lane um, in Oklahoma. Um, the one Aussie who managed to shock people like CNN, like, why are you amazed that you know Australian got shot here? It's like, well, because it ain't normal. Um, and so, yeah, that's that stuff too um, comes back. Yeah. Well, last thing, advice you have for a replacement correspondent who will start <laughs> here next Monday. One piece of advice. Duffster, Connor. Uh, good luck, mate. <laughs> I will leave you a, a few things uh, in your top drawer to keep you going. Um, it, it, it's it's a strange gig, this one, because the workload's um, quite high um, when you break it down into what you can be asked to do on a daily basis and what you should prepare for to do on a daily basis. It's not 
normal. Um, and on top of that, there's all the research and stuff. I, I actually woke up, I think I've told a few people in the office the other day, I woke up the, the other morning, I was like, all right, I better listen to you know NPR and check my... Oh, I don't actually have to listen this morning. <laughs> I'm not doing any daily news today. <laughs> but I will choose to listen. <laughs> I couldn't break the habit. So I'm looking forward to switching off. And that's that's the hardest part about, I think, this job is um, the three news channels, the two dozen or at least dozen major you know news outlets on online and everything else twitter god you know help us and the constancy the interruptions of meals of phone calls um of you know holidays and things like that with family and that's that's the hardest part is dealing with um the personal and how this job affects you personally and changes you personally because you don't come back from an Orlando and just waltz into family life. You just don't. And, you know, you've got to deal with kids who are like, you're right. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Uh, and you kind of go, well, um, <laughs> you know, and then you have to start talking in, in very generic things about, well, this really bad thing happened. Why were you there? Uh, it's because what we do. And that's it. You've made it to the very end. We have one day to go tomorrow, but we'll try to protect you as best we can. <laughs> Michael, because I'm the only one who's actually here today with you, is no reflection on how we feel. <laughs> Congratulations on an amazing post. And you. You, you've an absolute workhorse. As you say, the workload in this bureau is high. And this year, given the rise of Donald Trump in the election has been particularly high. I mean, more than once when something's breaking on a Friday night and I'm on the phone at 10, 11 o'clock at night and I get around to calling you or texting you, you've messaged back and said, I'm already in the office. <laughs> and for that, I've always been very thankful. Um, we're very proud of all the work you've done. We're going to miss you greatly. But for those listening to the DC Wash Up, it is not the end. We are going to take a short hiatus over Christmas. We're going to collect ourselves, take a collective deep breath, learn how to live without Michael. Oh, oh <laughs> that's rich. And replace him immediately with a new correspondent, Connor Duffy, who we're very much excited um, to bring on board as of next week. He will be joining us on the DC Wash Up from next year. We'll be back in time to preview the inauguration, which is on, Michael, do you know? January 20th? Yeah, I think that's correct. I'm oh, shucks. <laughs> Do you know where I'm going to be on January 20th? Oh, I'm not going to be anywhere near a television. <laughs> to the listeners of the DC Wash Up, thank you very much for following us throughout this crazy year. It's been an absolute privilege to bring the story to you. And it's not over yet. It's just getting interesting. Um, we will have it all for you back again in 2017. So long. <laughs>